Welcome to today's edition of the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm your host, Lori Boyer. In addition to feature reports, I'll bring you a look at regional and national agricultural news. And the show starts right after this. Agroplante is the leading manufacturer in specialty products. Agroplante formulates products that rise to the challenge of today's growing conditions. Saline and sodic soils reduce crop yield and cause significant crop losses. Agroplante developed Cat Ion EX5 Plus with growers in mind to manage soil salinity. With multiple years of research, Cat Ion EX5 Plus has proven to be an excellent source of calcium and an effective soil salinity manager. Run it through drip irrigation without any issues. Simplify your application method with innovative and efficient formulations. Alleviate salinity stress with Cat Ion EX5 Plus. Agroplante, imagination, innovation, science in action. This year, November 3rd, marked the start of walnut cash selling season in Tulare County. It comes right after growers have already processed their crops, so what's left on the trees is up for grabs. The season was established in 2017 as a way to prevent people from stealing walnuts to sell them before farmers gathered them from the ground. Now pickers, also known as gleaners, will strike a deal with the growers themselves. Once they get the proper permit, they take the walnuts to local cash buyers in the area. Gleaners' time and labor gets them a little extra cash in our pockets ahead of the holiday season. Tulare County Ag Commissioner Tom Tucker says years ago people would get up to two to three dollars a pound for nuts. Now it's down to one dollar a pound due in part to lower demand. Dairy farmers are bracing for the dairy cliff. That is a term for what happens if the federal dairy margin coverage program is allowed to expire. The program offers monthly price support payments to dairy farmers. If Congress fails to pass a new five-year farm bill or approve extension of current legislation by the end of the year, those payments will cease. That would harm dairies, increase milk prices, and cause supply chain disruptions. It would be disastrous for the dairy industry, according to Matthew Vile, California Farm Bureau Director of Federal Policy. After harvesting a record crop this year, California pistachio growers say they're looking to processors to expand the use of the nut and drive up sales as more trees go in the ground and come into production. Already, some growers are voicing concern the sector may be growing too fast, with projections that California pistachio acreage will near 811,300 and production will reach 2.08 billion pounds by 2031. Fresno County grower Greg Myers says he's afraid of oversupply and under-demand. American Pistachio Growers estimates the state-bearing acreage will rise by more than 5% a year. Officials for Bay Area Ports and leaders of California Agricultural Associations met recently to brainstorm on solutions to better facilitate farm exports from state ports, which a 2021 study called the least efficient in the world. At a San Francisco hearing held by the California Assembly Committee on Ports and Goods Movement, farmer leaders and ports directors discussed port shortcomings during the pandemic that stranded farm goods, including tree nuts, rice and wine, and continue to challenge the movement of freight within California. University of California Cooperative Extension Farm Advisor Franz Niederholzer, an orchard systems expert involved with tree nuts and navel orange worms, is finding massive losses in at least four counties due to a major infestation. The picture is not totally clear, but the damage has been heavy, particularly in the western Sacramento Valley, in Glen, Calusa, Yolo, and into Sutter counties. These places were hard hit by frost and freeze that virtually wiped out some growers. He says there was no crop and there was no money for sanitation or removing old nuts which mean that the population grew. He says this may be the worst worm damage historically in the last 20 years. 
Wild River Fruit, a grower and shipper of California kiwi fruit for nearly 50 years, is now offering programs in green, gold, and red kiwi grown in the U.S. Recognizing that kiwi fruit has become the fastest-growing fruit in a fruit basket in terms of U.S. retail sales, they believe there is great potential to introduce diversification in the category, according to Travis Nolan, vice president of Wild River. Wild River is currently offering promotable volumes projected to account for more than half of all U.S. production this season. While they were a bit late to start harvesting this season due to delayed maturities across the state, Wild River is currently offering promotable volumes projected to account for more than half of all U.S. production this season. While they were a bit late to start harvesting this season due to delayed maturities across the state, they are offering an abundant crop of aesthetically beautiful high-flavor Hayward green kiwi fruit, which they pack into one-pound clamshells and bags, as well as bulk and trays from now through May. Wild River began trials of the gold kiwi in 2009 and offered a U.S.-grown organic gold kiwi fruit program to complement its conventional gold kiwi offerings in recent years. This year, Wild River debuted the newest addition to its kiwi line, Berry Red Kiwi, which offers a sweet and juicy flavor with notes of raspberry and blackberry, measuring in excess of 20 bricks and 21% dry matter. Unlike green kiwi fruit varieties, gold and red kiwi fruit are technically different species. The gold fruit requires additional investment and shade infrastructure and a unique irrigation system in order to produce successfully in California. To complement its kiwi programs, Wild River offers an assortment of organic fruit programs, including seasonal specialties like persimmons and a six-month organic mandarin program and exotics such as organic rambutan and pitaya imported from partner farms in Latin America. With expansion of its product line, the company continues to grow its brand, which features a cute and cuddly kiwi owl mascot designed to educate both children and adults about Wild River's unique growing practices and commitment to promote biodiversity, according to the company. Wild River has traditionally supplied its long-standing relationships with both wholesalers and nationwide retailers. With growing production, it seeks to build on these partnerships and identify new customers across North America and beyond. A Fresno and Reedley-based fruit grower and packers objecting to a motion filed by debtors to bankrupt Prima Wawona to approve the sale of the company's assets. The management of Trinity Fruit Company argued that the motion is preventing it from receiving payment for perishable products that it provided. Prima Wawona, the nation's largest peach producer, filed Chapter 11 bankruptcy proceedings on October 13th with the intent to sell the company to an outside party. Prima Wawona's lenders could take control of the company through a debt-to-equity conversion if it's not sold to a third party. Now Trinity argues it has the right to receive payment for its products under the Perishable Agricultural Commodities Act, which passed Congress in 1930 and protects businesses dealing in fresh and frozen fruits and vegetables by enforcing a code of fair business practices. On September 27th, the United States Department of Agriculture's Animal and Plant Health Inspection Service and the California Department of Food and Agriculture established an oriental fruit fly quarantine in San Bernardino and Riverside Counties, California. The off-quarantine area, which includes avocado production regions, listed Haas avocados as a host which was inconsistent with USA's Mediterranean fruit fly and Mexican fruit fly host lists that do not include Haas avocados. California Avocado Commission staff immediately informed USDA of this inconsistency, which has led USDA to remove Haas avocados from the host list as of the end of October. Other avocado varieties within the quarantine area are still required to follow the established treatment protocols.
The commission is also working with USDA to remove Haas avocados as a host for the Queensland fruit fly quarantine, which currently includes parts of Los Angeles and Ventura counties. The commission will continue to work with USDA and CDFA on these fruit fly quarantines to ensure the harvest and transportation of fruit from within quarantine areas maintains the necessary safeguards to prevent the spread of the fruit fly while not creating unnecessary burdens on premium California avocado production. For all intents and purposes, the 2023 almond harvest has finally come to an end. Mel Machado, Blue Diamond Growers Vice President of Member Relations, said there are a few growers who still may have product in their orchards, but they are few and far between. I essentially called the harvest complete because for the most purposes it is. I've always had a fantasy, I say, of having been all the work done in the field by Halloween. And there's still growers out there that are working the last of their products and getting it in. But it's very, very little that I'm aware of that is still out there to be done. The 2023 season has not been easy from the start. A wet, cold spring delayed everything from the bloom to hull split to harvest by at least two weeks. Calling it a grind, Machado said most growers had to slog through what was a late season bedeviled by unusual weather patterns. First of all, it's been a, a slog all the way through because the harvest was about two weeks later than last year. The whole split was prolonged, which caused its own problems. But as growers were working this stuff and saying, okay, it, it's it's taken a long time to get these holes split. They're not drying very well because it was you know fairly cool, other than a few little brief heat spells. They're not drying well. They're laying on the ground for a long time. Product was arriving to the huller shellers with the hulls a little bit higher moisture than they should have had. So huller shellers are telling me that they're running 50 to 75% of their normal hourly capacity. We've been drying product upon arrival here since the start of harvest. Not drying wet stuff, but drying green stuff. Immature almonds that growers have, have pushed through from the field into the huller shellers and into us. So it, it's just been a grind all the way through, and, and we're, it's continued right to the end. From the beginning of harvest, Machado said navel orange room has been a big problem as far as nut quality, and it didn't subside as growers moved into the later varieties. No surprise to anybody with experience in this business, the navel orange room is not going to just up and disappear. It, it has been a problem all the way through into the later varieties. The Monterey and the Fritz are dealing with it. Even Carmel's dealt with it. I, humorously, I like to give a little bit of flack to the Butte and Padre growers because a lot of them think they're immune. The Padre is pretty much immune, but uh, the Butte and the Butte and Padre have had to deal with nitrum issues as well. During the past few seasons, brown spot caused by stink bugs and plant bugs feeding on the developing kernel has been cause for concern as far as rejects. Machado said the problem hasn't gone away by any means. It's just been overshadowed by the large amount of naval orange room rejects this season. Yeah, you know, that's interesting with brown spot. I have yet to have a conversation with a grower this year about brown spot. As, it, as I'm going through the quality analysis, and I do it pretty much every day, I'll just simplify the math. You know, you're, you're a grower that you, last year you had 3% rejects and all of it was brown spot. This year you have 12% rejects, 75% of it's naval orange room. 25% of it is brown spot, and you're not thinking about the brown spot, even though you have the exact same level as you did a year ago. It's just that the navel orange worm has overpowered it. As I've mentioned that in, in some venues, people start laughing and they'll say, yeah, well, the navel orange worm ate up all the brown spot, and, and maybe they did. But yeah, it's the, the brown spot, the, the hemipterin feeding is there, and I will say just about as bad as it was before from what I can tell. But the navel orange worm has overpowered it in, in discussions and in fact. This winter, many growers will be sitting down with their PCAs to review their reject reports and develop a plan for 2024. 
Machado said it won't be easy because of continuing low almond prices and higher production costs. Regardless of the eventual plan, he said it should include winter sanitation, which should be the foundation of any pest control program. First of all, I'll start with the foundation, and they've learned where management is sanitation. But even before that, you know, okay, establish a budget, work with the PCA, what can I do? And I know we're in austere times with the low market prices that we're all enduring. But, you know, what can I do and how do I get out of this mess? I'm asking a rhetorical question of some growers saying exactly what did that cost savings cost you? Because there's a lot of cases, and, and this is unfortunately a mix. There's a lot of cases where growers have scrimped and saved and they got mugged because of it by Naval Orange Room. And at the same time, there's guys out there that did it all and they sprayed three times and they're still 15% rejects. And so the other question is, how many of you guys sprayed three times and wished you hadn't? It, it's just, it's an unfortunate situation this year that there are no clear-cut answers. But I would start with sanitation. It is the foundation and we know it. And I will guarantee you that we are going into this winter with a lot more inoculum, a lot more worms in these nuts that remain in the trees than we did a year ago. So we're starting out uh, in not a great position. And, and there's things that you can do about that. Some growers are already heeding Machado's advice and have begun shaking trees to try and get in and reduce mummies while the ground is still firm. The plants are to come back later to clean up any leftovers, providing saturated ground doesn't prevent them from getting in. To successfully remove mummies, he said growers need adequate moisture. Depending on the part of the state, some areas already have received significant fall rains and they're experiencing heavy morning dews. I've had a few guys tell me that they're starting to shake. You need moisture for optimal shaking. And they're saying, yeah, well, we had a little bit of rain and the dews are really heavy. Now, this morning, ironically, where I was, uh, there wasn't a lot of dew. But I, some, some mornings when I leave the house, it looks like it rained on my truck. The dews are really heavy and they're taking advantage of it. They're starting in the mid-morning hours. And I mean like 3 and 4 o'clock once the dew builds. And they're shutting down about 9 o'clock or so, 10 o'clock taking advantage of the moisture that might be up there in the trees to get those down. One in particular says, I'm only getting about 85% of them, but that's better than nothing. And I'll come back and shake more if the, the soil allows me to get on after we get some more rain and some fog. So the thinking is, let me take out what I can. Anything's better than nothing, but I know I need to come back here and clean it up for optimal efficiencies. At least a few growers have decided to take a neighborhood approach to winter sanitation, much like they do with mating disruption. Machado said encouraging neighbors to shake mummies would benefit anybody within two miles of those orchards because navel orangeworms are strong flyers. He understands the financial constraints that many growers are facing. On the other hand, Machado said he also has seen the millions of pounds of nuts and related revenue lost this year to rejects. I have absolutely no doubt that neighbors matter, neighborhoods matter. And you can do everything perfectly and have a nightmarish problem because of an orchard within two miles. So, yeah, encouraging sanitation, encouraging disruption, if we're going to adopt that practice, and I, I know that works as well, definitely is an advantage. And I would encourage strongly that people work together and get this stuff done. You don't want to endure another year like this. And, and again, a lot of people are facing some really tight cash flows. But in some of the reject levels we've seen, I'm, I'm just looking at data before we got on this call. There's millions of pounds out there just in our organization that are, are pretty ugly. Are really high rejects. That's a lot of money that growers lost. And I'm not so sure that they saved that, that much money in their cost-cutting endeavors. With all this talk of rejects, Machado said it is bound to affect the 2.6 billion pound estimate the state issued in July. How much it will reduce the crop remains to be seen. 
Since a crop and harvest were at least two weeks later than usual, that means knowing how the 2023 crop settles out also will be delayed. A lot of people are trying to talk the crop down significantly to, to numbers that don't make a lot of sense to me. I will say that uh, at, at 2.6 billion, a 1% change in the turnout percentage is 118 million pounds. And that turnout is the meat weight as a percentage of what comes out of the field. And I've got good solar reports from Huller Shellers around the valley that they're off two and three points. Then if you consider reject levels being so high and nuts that might have been totally consumed by the worm and that's getting aspirated out at the hauler sheller, you know, take another point out. Well, there's 236 million pounds. If you round that up to 250 and you can say real quickly, well, 2.6 billion pounds at the start, take off 250, you're at a 2.35 crop then. Uh, that's, that's easy math to do. We won't know for a while if that's right. I don't want to get too definitive here because we're still receiving a lot of volume on these later varieties and they perform differently and behave differently than some of the earlier varieties. So it's a fairly safe bet that the 2.6 billion pound estimate will not be realized. The only question is uh, what level below that. Thanksgiving is just around the corner. With almond bloom typically beginning the latter half of February, that only leaves about three months to conduct post-harvest activities, perform winter sanitation, and develop a production plan for 2024. Let's just hope we don't have a repeat of 2023. This is Vicki Boyd reporting for My Ag Life. We're waking up to a new dawn in agriculture, a better way, where farmers stop working the soil and start working with it. At Huma, our carbon-rich, humate-based products improve soil health and fertility, deliver nutrients more efficiently, and reduce crop input costs. Welcome to Humix Solutions with a Human Touch. Visit Huma.us to learn more. The Purdue University CME Group Ag Economy Barometer results for October of 2023 have been released. Dr. James Mentor, Director for the Center for Commercial Agriculture at Purdue, has the breakdown of the recent survey. The Ag Economy Barometer Index rose 17 points compared to last month. That left it 24 points higher than a year earlier, but 16 points below where it was two years ago. The Current Condition Index was unchanged versus last month, but still 17 points higher than it was in June of 2022. The Future Index was up 25 points compared to last month, and 27 points higher compared to June 2022. The Farm Financial Condition Index was also up this month. It was up 10 points compared to last month's reading of 76, and that leaves that index three points higher than a year ago and 10 points below two years ago. The Farm Capital Investment Index was also up. It was up five points compared to last month and up seven points compared to a year ago, but that leaves that index still 12 points below where it was two years ago. Once again this month, we asked producers about their perspective on interest rates over the course of the next year. And over 40% of the producers in this month's survey said that they're looking for either a decline in interest rates or no change in interest rates over the course of the next year. Producers' perspective on farmland values improved markedly this month. The short-term farmland value expectation index was up 16 points compared to last month. That left that index still 10 points below where it was this time last year. The long-term index was also up this month. It was up six points compared to May, and that leaves that index up 10 points compared to a year ago. For the first time this year, we asked corn and soybean producers what they expect to happen with respect to farmland cash runner rates in 2024. 
68% of the producers in this month's survey said they expect to see no change in farmland cash rental rates in 2024 compared to 2023. But one out of four corn and soybean producers said they expect cash rental rates to rise in 24 compared to 23. In this month's survey, we asked producers what they think the likelihood is of Congress overturning California's Proposition 12 as part of a new farm bill. Producers were split on whether or not Congress was likely to overturn Prop 12 in a new farm bill. 36% thought it at least somewhat unlikely, while 25% thought it was at least somewhat likely. That wraps up the highlights for this month's survey. The full report is available on the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer website, which is purdue.edu slash agbarometer. There's also some more details available on our podcast, the Purdue Commercial Agcast, which is available on major podcast providers and at purdue.edu slash commercialag. On behalf of the Center for Commercial Agriculture, I'm Jim Mintert. Thanks for joining us. The long-term demand trends for dairy producers indicate butter, cheese, and other full-fat dairy foods will continue to grow in sales and volume for the foreseeable future. U.S. consumers have shifted away from margin and reduced fat dairy foods over the last decade as nutritional science surrounding saturated fats has evolved. As a result... Butter fat levels in the national milk supply have risen sharply in response to changing demand patterns and dairy market dynamics. According to a new report from Cobank's Knowledge Exchange, the butterfat bloom will continue as the entire dairy supply chain is capturing additional value from milk with higher fat and protein levels. Cobank's Corey Geiger says despite the significant growth in domestic butterfat production over the last decade, there is still tremendous upside potential, largely because the U.S. remains a milk fat deficit nation. Geiger says there is tremendous growth potential, both domestically and ultimately via the export market. One of the duties of USA's military veterans agricultural liaison is connecting veterans with potential career opportunities within the Agriculture Department and other federal agencies. USA Ag News reporter Rod Bain shares more. Connecting veterans with careers within the federal government and U.S. Department of Agriculture. That is one of the many duties for Monshi Ramdas, USDA's Military Veterans Agricultural Liaison. Connecting veterans with paid apprenticeship through USDA and the Department of Defense's SkillBridge program and working with the Department of Veterans Affairs, helping veterans to gain valuable civilian work experience through non-paid internships with USDA agencies. In addition, through the Skill Bridge program, military veterans can also enter into internships on farms across America through this program called Arm to Farm, which is offered by a nonprofit that we work with known as ATRA across 45 states in America, collaborating with farms in those states. I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. As the world is shifting towards sustainable practices and environmental preservation, advanced packaging options have been the center of focus in the past few years. Advanced packaging mechanisms play a vital role in reducing food waste and ensuring the maintenance of quality during storage. A big challenge faced by the food industry is the development of sustainable advanced packaging systems while simultaneously minimizing environmental impacts. Recently, there has been a lot of focus on edible packaging. Edible packaging materials are composed of compounds that are safe for human 
and consumption, posing no health risks. With slight adjustments in material composition and structure, researchers can transform these materials into diverse types of films, coatings, and advanced packaging. Edible food packaging is primarily available in two distinct forms, edible films and edible coatings. Edible films are produced as solid laminated sheets and used as food wraps, which can either be consumed or removed when eating. In contrast, advanced packaging fabricated in the form of coatings is applied to food in a liquid state through methods like coating, spraying, or immersion. Once dried, they create an edible layer over the food, which can also be either consumed or removed. JCS Marketing is your number one way to connect with the ag industry. Through print magazines, digital media, podcast and live and virtual events jcs marketing has the reach to inform educate and influence growers in the western united states everywhere you go you see west coast nut magazine on every one of my customers tables so that tells you everything that's that it's there so they're reading our my ag life platform includes podcast interviews and digital articles for busy professionals on the go Our live events, continuing education webinars, and virtual conferences help growers connect with leading researchers and industry leaders. Let JCS Marketing help you connect. That will wrap up today's show. You've been listening to the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm Lori Boyer. From all of us here at the JCS Marketing team, thank you for listening. (laughs) 